Memphis, 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 Memphis. Nothing but Memphis. Everywhere we go, it's Memphis. Welcome to On the Bluff, a Bluff City Media audio podcast. Stepping up to the microphone are your hosts, Kenny Stubblefield and Christian Fowler. Now, let's get to the show. Welcome to the inaugural episode of On the Bluff, a Bluff City Media audio and video podcast. And I'm excited, man, because I got my homie back with me, man. Christian Fowler has joined the crew, and we're going to be doing this podcast together, man. Christian, how's it going, man? Everything's good. I'm lucky that we got a a dry run last week, or right. I might be a, I might be a little rustier right now. So I think I've uh, I got a little bit back into the swing of things. But if uh, if I make some mistakes, slip up on some words or some stats, um, I think I need a, at least a little bit of a grace period, maybe a two week grace period, and then start firing away at me let's go man it's been a minute obviously christian and i've done a lot of stuff in the past together i'm excited we got him off the uh retirement bus he's he's the barry sanders of memphis sports media he in his prime decided to walk away but we got him back i'm excited man um y'all know man you know christian's the best in the city at what he does so i'm excited to get him back on here and do his thing um, Christian, man, we got a lot to talk about. Obviously this, this podcast is going to be dropping on Tuesday afternoon, uh, right before the Tigers play against St. Louis in St. Louis, the Tiger basketball team plays their second game of the year, um, coming off of a victory last week against Vanderbilt, um, in Nashville. Um, so we got a lot to talk about. I wanted to start, we, I wanted us to start talking about basketball, getting into the Memphis Tiger basketball team and, and what's going on, what you've seen, what what we're excited about. But before we do that, we got to talk about recruiting first, man. Penny has obviously very clearly shown once again that he is a force to be reckoned with on the uh, the recruiting trail. Uh, right now he has got, uh, let's count them up, one, two, three, four, five, six players committed. Um, one of those six has signed his national letter of intent in Carl Charenfant. Um hard commits that he has Mikey Williams, JJ Taylor, Tyler Johnson, Ryan Forrest, and David Tubeck. Christian, what are your thoughts, man? Like, as you saw all this kind of unfolding, there was kind of a flurry of commitments and signings and things like that. Like, what have you, what do you think about the, 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 uh, 2023 class that he has so far? It's kind of what we've grown accustomed to with Penny when it comes to recruiting high school players. Like it feels like the majority of the year, Everybody's sitting back and waiting and holding their breath on when are these gonna when are these guys gonna come? Who's it gonna be? And then out of nowhere it strikes. And, and that's I, I'm you know just straight off the top of the head from memory that feels like how it's been every single recruiting class, obviously minus last year where he chose to go pretty heavy in the transfer portal. So it was obviously a good what week 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 and a half to get all those commitments. So I know. There are very few things in this world that excite Memphis fans more than uh, than basketball recruiting. So I know the Memphis fans have been all over the place and the emotions have been all over the place the last week and a half or so. But obviously some big big time guys with Mikey Williams and J.J. Taylor coming in. I know those are – I mean, Mikey Taylor is probably the most high-profile basketball player of all time, honestly. Mike, I mean, it's him and it, – what's crazy is like last year's class, Imani Bates was – one of the most, I mean, he's the next KD. He's, you know, 14 years old, 15 right. years old on magazines. And now 
You got Mikey Williams, who's got 3.5 million subscribers on Instagram, whose highlight packages are everywhere, all over the internet. These last two classes, he's gotten two guys that are extremely high profile. Yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned Amani Bates, and Amani was like, man, we've been hearing about Amani since he was in eighth grade as a basketball player, but like Mikey Williams has taken over as a social media sensation for right. the past three years. And obviously, Amani's videos and highlights and stuff were blowing it up. But like Mikey, it's his personality and, you know, his honestly, his social media savvy. And I'm sure that comes from uh, from people in his family or, you know, just from general recognition of this is the way things are going. So he got on that wave pretty early and has built a huge follower base for himself. And obviously what you do on the court matters more than, you know, your online persona. But it's always good to bring more eyes to the program not only from fans and from national media but also from players because every I'm, I mean I'm pretty sure 99.9 percent of high school basketball players know who Mikey Williams is and to see him go to Memphis is like well you know if they're not recruiting me or I'm not looking at them right now maybe I should because obviously it's good enough for this guy and why not so I think it is pretty cool that Penny's able to connect with those kind of guys. And, you know, there aren't many coaches in college basketball that can connect with those high-profile guys as good as Penny. And I think, you know, that's a huge reason why he gets guys like James Wiseman and Monty Bates and now Mikey Williams and um, and then Mike, and then J.J. Taylor coming with Mikey Williams is a, another good get. And the class is, is built very quickly, but it's top five in the country right now, which is where you want to be. Well, absolutely. You know, I think one of the sneakier players that, you know, Mikey obviously is going to attract a lot of attention based on his, like you you described it, his public persona, you know, his social media following. But having the opportunity to kind of really study Tyler Johnson's game, you know, he's a point guard out of uh, St. Benedict Prep in Newark, New Jersey. Um, he is a four-star nationally ranked at 66, you know, by 247 Sports. And, um there's a, obviously there's a massive connection between the newest assistant coach for the University of Memphis and Andy Borman, who coached uh, his uh, Tyler Johnson's AAU program, um, the team that Tyler Johnson played for. Um, you know, I think Tyler, everybody expected nationally, I think everybody expected him to go to NC State. But when Andy Borman got here to Memphis, I think there was a there was a, a kind of a shifting and turning of the tide and. Tyler was actually here on an unofficial for, I think it was the first exhibition game against uh, CBU. And, um, you know, the, the rumors started picking up that he was, you know, seriously considering Memphis. And if you see Tyler Johnson's game, if you see the way he plays, man, he is a really, um, he's a, he's a departure, I think from previous point guards that Penny Hardaway has gone after. But he is a scrappy, intense, um, very shifty uh, distributor, defender, um, who can shoot the ball pretty well um, when he gets hot. You know, his statistics aren't great from the three-point line, but in terms of his ability to score, his ability to finish in the paint, his ability to defend, to, to kind of lead the team, he is a perfect, I think, college point guard that Penny is looking to um, to not become the next Penny Hardaway in the NBA, but to to lead the Memphis Tigers, um, you know, once he gets here on campus. Yeah, I completely agree with that. It's like this is a guy that's not – that I don't think many people are projecting, obviously, with him being ranked, you know, past the 50s as a one-and-done kind of guy. This feels like 
a guy that Penny wants to bring in and develop and have him for two, three, four years as the team's floor general, which we haven't really seen that much since Penny got here. So uh, I love the pickup. I think it's definitely a big pickup. And if you look, you know, if you look around social media and stuff where all the fans are obviously talking uh, about this recruiting class and what's being built, I, I think, you know, the people that see the Mikey Williams name are obviously attracted to that, but the people that are really digging in and going and watching film and seeing what these guys bring to the table, Tyler Johnson is who people are the most excited about up to right. this point because they realize that, they, you know, this is this is something that shifts a program for the time that that player is there if he pans out to what we think he's going to be. So I love the pickup. I love what Penny's doing. We, you know, we've seen kind of that shift from the big, flashy, everybody one and done to right now what he's putting on the floor is a very veteran-heavy team, and it looks like he wants to stay in that realm. Now, obviously, does he want high-level, talented freshmen? Absolutely, because you have to have those game-changing guys to be a perennial top team, but you also need the guys that are there for three, four years that are going to be leaders and that are going to change. I don't want to say that the culture needs changed at Memphis because I don't think it does, but they kind of change – uh, what's going on on the floor. They're kind of the an extension of the coaching staff on the floor, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And that's the kind of player that I believe a lot of people and Penny and the coaching staff believe Tyler Johnson can be. Well, you, you mentioned a, a second ago about a culture change. And I don't think necessarily that, and you said it, not that the culture needs changing. Penny changed the culture after last year. He absolutely said, from the very beginning of the offseason, that he was going to revamp his roster, that he was going to be very heavy in the transfer portal, that he was going to go get veteran guys that have played in other programs, guys that fit what the Tigers need, but also have that experience and and guys that know that guys that can fit well together. Um I mean, he did he get anybody in I don't think he had one single high school recruit last year commit to Memphis everything was through the portal or through players that have already that were already on the team and you know specifically guys like you know Jonathan Lawson who we didn't see last year because he was redshirted but um there definitely seems to be a shift again and and one of the things Christian I think that we are uh both of us could have come to understand over the last few years of covering Penny Hardaway is to never really try to guess what Penny Hardaway is trying to do. Like, what is he doing? But I'm going to ask you to try to do that right now. Uh, he's he's went into the transfer portal, got the number one transfer in the entire portal last year in Kendrick Davis, filled in around Kendrick, built a team around Kendrick, bringing back DeAndre Williams, bringing back a few other players like Malcolm Dandridge, you know, Jaden Hardaway, his son. Alex Lomax decided to come back. But now in the very next class, he's filling that, that roster up with high school players again. What do you think? Is this something that we can expect from Penny moving forward? Or is this something that, that like, what do you think he's trying to do by going straight transfer portal? Now high school players being recruited for the next class right after. Yeah. I think there's a couple different layers to it. And, and like you said, this is the best guess at it because we never know what Penny's doing. You know, we, we never know exactly what he's got dialed up and what he's thinking, but just from the outside looking in, what it seems like is this could have been a pretty down year, right? If you look at what was left over after all the guys that left either, you know, via the transfer portal or through the draft, 
this could have been a, a big transitional year of, you know, maybe they bring in a few lower rated guys in the 2022 class. And it's like, okay, we're going to have to wait a couple years. Cause we don't have those. We don't have Jalen Duran and Amani Bates, those guys that can come in and, and get you to the tournament in year one. So it, it could have been a bridge year. And instead of doing that, Penny was like, no, let's just, let's just go get veteran guys. Let's go get Kendrick Davis. You know, the best player available in the transfer portal, who is a program changer. Even if he's only a one-year rental, he can still, uh, you know, take a team as far as the pieces around him are willing to go. Uh, and so getting guys like that, getting Elijah McCadden, getting Kennedy, uh, getting Cal, like getting these guys that can come in and contribute immediately and pairing those with the guys that have, you know, kind of the stalwarts that have been here, DeAndre Williams, Malcolm Dandridge, Alex Lomax, Jaden Hardaway, those guys that are still going to play a lot of meaningful minutes this year and, and pairing that together and saying instead of instead of trying to scrap this and be like patchwork quilt of we've got, you know, really veteran guys like Lomax, Williams, and Malcolm have been there for a long time and pairing those with these young up-and-coming guys is just probably not going to work. It's probably not going to be the most effective way to go about this individual year. So let's bring this in. Let's do it this way. And we know we're going to lose a lot next year. Off, you know, off the rip. They know they're going to lose a lot. They've got a lot of seniors. Uh, they've got a lot, of, a lot of veteran guys. So they're going to lose a lot. So you have to inject some youth talent into this. And he's obviously done that with the guys that they've gotten in the 2023 class. And then I think he probably does want to pluck some transfers out there, even if some of these guys that are currently on the team stick around. I think, I think he likes the feel of the veterans and the young guys. I think it's Absolutely. always been, I think it's always been that way. It's just, it's like the way that it's fallen. Once the guys have gotten on campus is like, man, we've got to play these young guys. Yeah. And it's been difficult to figure out rotations. It's been difficult to figure out egos. It's been difficult to pair guys with very different play styles because some of these veteran guys that have been here have more of a methodical approach, have more of a defensive minded approach. And then some of the guys that you're bringing in are, you know, straight AAU style. Like, let's just run the floor to yeah. run these dudes to death. And Penny wants to, and Penny makes no bones about that he wants to do that offensively. But it's like it hasn't meshed properly yet. We haven't seen kind of that combination work yet. So I think we're seeing him try something a little bit different this year, and I love it. I'm all for it. I think it's, I think it has the potential to be the best year at Memphis under Penny Hardaway if if things you know fall accordingly. Um, so I love the fact that he not only planned substantially for this year with the guys that he brought in, but now he's really setting the future. You know, he's getting guys like Tyler Johnson who aren't going to more than likely aren't going to be one one and done. He's getting guys like Sharon Fant who more than likely aren't going to be one and done. And Forrest and all these guys that he is bringing in, they're program builders. They're guys that'll be here for two to four years and really help you have sustained success. That we see teams. I always think of Michigan State when right. I think of when 100%. I think of this mesh. When I think of you know, we'll bring in two or three top players, but we really you know our our middle three or four guys are the most important because they're the, going to be the ones leading the team the next year and the next year and the next year. And so it's always that that mesh of young and veteran. Yeah. And the top teams in the country do so, and I think Penny's really uh, like zoning in on the way to do that is what it feels like to me. So that's my, that's my best guess. <laughs> that's a great guess. I mean, again, none of us can sit here and pretend to know what, what Penny Hardaway is thinking and, and doing. Uh, we could just kind of read the tea leaves and say, you know, you get a guy like Mikey Williams, and and let's just be frank about Mikey. Um, Mikey has a large 
social media presence. Um, people have been talking about him for ever and a year since he was a, a baby, you know, playing basketball. But Mikey is not one of those guys that's going to come in and just set the college world on fire in terms of his skill set, in terms of what he can do on the floor. Is Mikey a good player? Absolutely. Is he talented? Absolutely. I mean, you don't get ranked top 22 in the country and not be good to be a five-star on 247 sports. Like you don't, you don't, he's a good player. Um, I think it's very, I think it's very, very similar to Bronny James personally. Speak on that a little bit. Yeah. I mean, same thing with Bronny. Like, I, I don't know you, like, you know, that I've always hated this. Like I, I, I really don't like like the bleacher report and right. House of highlight stuff. I, I don't like it. It drives me crazy because you have all these people that think, you know, this guy's the best in the country or this guy's the best in the country just because those social media sites are the ones that portray those guys all the time. Like what you've was seen that kid that, What was that kid from New York or Florida, Julian something, that Julian kid that they were prop, propping up so much on, was it Ball is Life or something like that? You remember that little I'm not, short I'm kid? Not, I'm, not, I'm not sure. Anyway, the kid I know, like. I, know there, I mean, I know there was the guy from, from IMG too. Um, Noah Farrakhan, like yeah. you always yeah. saw Noah Farrakhan, and he ended up, you know, going to college and really not doing much of anything. Like I honestly, hate. he fell off. He fell off before his senior year, and then, it, but they still post about him because it, you know we posted about him three years ago. Anyway, because you know, who, I, cause you know who his teammate is now. He's at Eastern Michigan with Amani, right? Killing it, and I'm telling you, man, Noah Farrakhan looked awesome in that game against he's, Michigan. No, I, He's playing ball now, but they were thinking when he was a sophomore and a junior in high school that he was going to come into college and light the world on fire. Right. You, you know what I'm saying? But, yeah, and yeah. it's just it's it's just the the social media presence, and I can't stand that because I think the not the wrong guys, but some of the guys that really deserve it don't end up getting their flowers. Mm-hmm. Like a guy like Jalen Duran, you didn't see nearly as much about him when he was in high school as and, guys and as guys like Bronny. And it's just because of the name value. It's just because of the name value, and it's fine. It is what it is. It's like the day and age we live in, and I get it. And I'm not I'm not crapping on Mikey or Bronny or Amani or any of these guys that have been like social media sensations at all. But there is a different perception outside of the real deal basketball world when it comes to those guys. The 100%. casual fan, the casual fan would probably think Mikey Williams was the number one player in the country, or Bronny James was the number one player in the country. And and they're not. They're not the number one. They are good. I mean, they are very good players. I believe LeBronny's a high four or five star. And right. like you said, Mikey's number 22 in the country and a five star. And, and I'm not saying that I don't think he's going to be a good player at all. I'm just saying those are the comparisons that I have because that's what you see all the time. So, right. you know, you got guys, you got, you, you got guys that are legit going to go be one and done and dominate college basketball n- next year that get no flowers because they don't necessarily have any name value, but that's that's my kind of comparison for it. But a guy like Mikey, though, he if you watch highlights, if you watch games of it, not just highlights, if you watch games of his, the way that he's able to effectively move around on the floor, the way that he gets the ball in the mid-range, his ability to jump and 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 separate himself from mid-range jump shots, his ability to get to the basket, his defensive, you know, presence, his um his his passing presence, like he plays on a team um, in San Diego with J.J. Taylor where they run legitimate sets on the floor. 
and and you see Mikey Williams running those sets. You see J.J. Taylor running those sets. They are running that offense and getting the best available shot. So you're going to look at a, at, at a Mikey Williams game and say, you know, has he fallen off because he's not getting those like crazy dunks that you see on Ball is Life or Instagram or all these little reels and things like that. I think Mikey Williams has turned into a a, a pretty damn good b- basketball player at this point who is going to come into a team which we now know is going to be Memphis and is going to be an effective player because he knows how to run within a system. And that's all that Penny cares about. Like he, right. Penny no more about hero it. ball, no, no more, more hero, hero ball. ball. And he talked about it in a press conference. Um, I think it was after one of the exhibition games, someone asked him a question about playing time. No, no, no. It was after the Vanderbilt game when they asked about KO. Um, Cause KO played six minutes in the first half and then didn't see the floor in the second half. Right. Someone asked him about that question or asked him about that. And he said, listen, I am done giving pity minutes. I am done giving players minutes because I'm trying to soothe whatever. And he wasn't specifically talking about KO being upset or anything like that. He He was making a statement to the media, to the team, to the city that he's running this show. This is his show and he's not beholden to anybody on minutes and he's going to play who he thinks is going to play. Oh, no, no, it wasn't KO. He was talking about Jonathan Lawson because Jonathan didn't play in the game against Vandy. And they asked him that question. And he said, listen, man, I'm not given minutes just because I'm supposed to give somebody minutes. I am going to give minutes to the person who I think is going to help me win a game. And and that's what I And that's how it should be. 100% how it should be. And I think that was the issue that he got himself into last year with that roster was he had too many outsiders, egos inside the locker room that were saying I need this and I, I'm expecting to be this guy and I think he just got tired of that and I think he's done with that and I think he is I think what we're kind of totally switching subjects here but I think what we've seen a, a kind of a development in Penny Hardaway is he has now become a full-fledged college coach instead of being an NBA factory like he described when he first got here he wanted the University of Memphis basketball program to be a, a place where one and dunners could come in and get better and go straight to the league, right? And I think what he's doing right now with this class in particular, with this 2023 class, with going through to the portal and, and kind of revamping his entire roster in 2022, is he's saying, man, I'm going to get the best college program I can have. I'm going to get the best players that are going to help the University of Memphis win games. Yeah, and, and that goes back to my Michigan State example, honestly. Like, you know, I mean, you don't see Michigan State necessarily turn out the same amount of talent that, that Kentucky and Kansas and Duke do, but Michigan State is always right there. 100%. Um, but let's transition off of that a little bit because yeah. you did you did you did talk about minutes and the way that that Vanderbilt game played out. So very like let's hit this very briefly and then do a quick preview of of the St. Louis game coming up uh on Tuesday night. So Vanderbilt, Memphis goes in as, I believe, two-and-a-half-point favorites, uh, get a pretty sizable win on the road, first game of the year. Uh, I, I like. I think I told you this, ESPN's Basketball Power Index actually had Memphis with only like a 35 or 40% chance to win that game. So I know it's not a top 25 team. It's not necessarily the most flashy game in the world, but I think a good, uh, a good first win of the season in the first game just quickly, let's talk about a couple of the takeaways from that and kind of how we see that those things playing out moving forward. Yeah, I mean, I think that 
you know, having had the opportunity to go and see the two exhibition games in Memphis prior to them going, you starting the season off legit against Vanderbilt. I was slightly concerned a little bit, Christian. I'm not going to lie. There were some things that concerned me about the front court in particular. Um, you know, DeAndre Williams coming back was a huge get for Penny to come back and play his, his final year in college. You know, I, I, I think that there was a perception that because of his age and because of, you know, that he might have had, you know, tried to play maybe overseas or go do something like that. You know, I don't think anybody thought that DeAndre was going to be a an NBA guy last year, but, but, you know, getting him to come back and play his final season was a huge get. But, but the thing is with DeAndre is that he's a different kind of player than what you would normally see in in a front court. He's not your banging like physical, super physical big man. He's kind of one of those dudes that can stretch the floor, blow past a big man that can't keep up with them, shoot the three. And he, one of the things that he's benefited from is he's always had a big man in the in the paint with him that has been able to kind of clog the lane, defend the rim, you know, play with force, get rebounds, you know, things like that. Guys like Musa Cisse, and then obviously last year with Jalen Duran. I mean, Christian Jalen Duran was just unbelievably awesome. Like he was just so yeah. good. Anyway, I was concerned coming into this Vanderbilt game that will the Tigers be able to, especially in the front court, play with a force that honestly in those first two exhibition games, I didn't see. I didn't see a level of 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 attack and a force and and physical presence that I've come to expect from Penny Hardaway teams. You know, Malcolm Dandridge is a is a um is a fine player, been with Memphis for, you know, a few years now. And but but Malcolm is that guy that he can get physical at times, but a lot of times he you know, we'll kind of fade to the to the background a little bit. Um, you know, Chandler Lawson is just not a physical big man. Um, Ko, um, who is a, I mean, has made just unbelievable highlights on on YouTube with his jumping ability, like head above the rim, arms at the top of the backboard. But he's just not very. He just hasn't played ball long enough to be really, really gifted and really, you know, good at what he. And so that was concerned about that. But I was impressed with the way they played, to be honest with you, man. I, I I really feel like the Tigers came in, especially in that front court, and set a tone very quickly in that Vanderbilt game and made it very difficult for Vanderbilt to to be successful. Yeah, a couple things real quick. Um, something something you and I talked about is the rotations, and you you mentioned it briefly. It looks like Penny's finally sticking to his guys. I think he only played – it was eight, correct? Only played eight guys. He played nine. Uh, he played, played nine, nine total, but KO only had six in the first six half. In the first yeah. half. Yeah. So the the rotation being shortened, that's not something that we're used to seeing from not Penny Hardaway. It usually takes half of the season for him to to figure out more of the rotations and more fine tune that. And it feels like he had a plan going into the season, which I love that. I think that offers consistency from the start. I think it lets get guys know where they stand from the start. And if they want to work into those minutes, if they want uh, to find their way into the rotation or unseat somebody that is starting, then they know they've really got to work to get there. And they're not going to work to get there in games. They've got to bust their butt in practice, which makes that team better every day. Sounds like coach speak, sounds cliche, but it's completely and utterly the truth. Um, so I love the fact that we saw the rotation shorten from the jump this season. I know that's something that's aggravated a lot of fans. And here we are after the first game seeing a pretty short rotation with guys playing a lot of minutes. 
Uh, love the defensive mindset of this team. I don't think that's a shock to anybody. It's right. the way that this team has played since Penny Hardaway came in. Now you bring in a coaching staff that has uh, Frank Haith, Andy Borman, and Faraji Phillips with Frank Haith being my favorite hire that Penny's ever made personally ever. on the staff. I love it because Frank Haith's teams gave, gave Penny so much trouble, even though in every single game that Memphis played against Tulsa while Frank Haith was there, Memphis was the more talented team. They always gave Penny trouble. And I think that kind of defensive-minded coach to go along with Penny, who we know is a great defensive coach, in those big games against those top players and in those big moments, if you know, if you're competing for a conference championship or if you're in the tournament, guys like Frank Haith and the way that he sees the the defensive side of the court and the way that he sees matchups that gives you two or three games that you probably shouldn't win with a guy uh, that's that good on the defensive end of the floor as a coach. Um, anything else I got off the top of my head? Like I said, love the defense, love the rotations. Kendrick Davis played very well, as we all expected. The offense goes the way Kendrick Davis goes. Uh, you mentioned DeAndre Williams. A lot of back and forth on him. What's it going to be? Where is he going to go? What's he going to do? He comes out and he leads the team in points in right. game one. So, so Kenny, I I do want to real quick. Let's talk a little bit about November and December. Let's kind of set the stage for the next month and a half. Obviously, we'll be doing podcasts throughout this time, but it just feels right right now since it is the beginning of the season to kind of lay this out, get a little bit of a lay of the land. Uh, so Memphis on Tuesday night, as we mentioned, will play at St. Louis. St. Louis currently. Three-point favorites, uh, ESPN Basketball Power Index gives them a 67.4% uh, chance to win. As we know, St. Louis is always a well-coached team and just just a quality basketball team. It, it feels like every single year. Yep. Uh, quickly, Kenny, what what does Memphis need to, to do to go into St. Louis and, and get a really, a really quality win in the second game of the season? Well, I mean, I think the um, St. Louis – their offense kind of runs off of really two guys, and that's Yuri Collins, the point guard, and Javante Perkins, the shooting guard. Um, and I would say this: like if you look at their, you know, their box scores over the last couple of games, they are very they they play quite a few players, but they're in terms of the heavy minutes on the team. St. Louis has like eight guys that they play. Um, their starting five is going to play a majority of the time. Um, Yuri Collins um, is a guy that's he's six foot one ninety. Um, I see Alex Lomax all over him. Um, that seems like the perfect Alex Lomax matchup. Um, you know, Yuri Collins is a is a guy that I think he's averaging right now only, you know, 12, 13 points a game right now, but he's had 13 and 14 assists in the first two games of the year. So we're talking about a guy who is a – the ball's in his hands a lot, shoots the ball a lot, or shoots the ball, gets pretty decent shots, and then is able to distribute. Um so, you know, for the Tigers to come out and be effective, I think, against this team, they're going to have to dominate. Well, not really dominate, but they're going to have to to, to really show um, a physical nature on defense very quickly, establish their identity on the defensive side of the floor against St. Louis. I mean, obviously, they're playing in St. Louis. It's going to be a, a road game, another tough road game to start off the season. And, you know, it's it's going to be a game where they're going to have to absolutely establish their presence on the defensive side of the floor to be able to to come away with a win in St. Louis. Yeah, I completely agree. And it feels like same thing. St. Louis is like different players, very similar team every year. Right. 
like they're not a they're not necessarily an elite scoring team, but they have guys that can get buckets and they're always pretty sound defensively. They're pretty good on the glass. It it just like is really a copy paste kind of thing for St. Louis. So I think we will get to see like will Malcolm Dandridge be that enforcer for an entire game. And and, and if so, that's obviously huge. And they need him right. to be that in this game. They need a physical presence down low in this game. Uh Gibson Jimerson, great three point shooter for St. Louis. Uh, is somebody that in two games this year is averaging 19 points per game. Can you shut down that guy that's that's going to be their guy that can shoot from deep? Are you going to be able to How shut him down? How did I miss Gibson Jimerson? I, I, I know that name so well. How did I forget to mention him? Thank you for mentioning I don't know. Gibson Jimerson. Thank you. But that is a, that's a microwave score type guy. And it's to me, especially early in the season, it's always interesting to see how a team slows that kind of player down. What does the perimeter defense look like when you're spread out and you've got a guy like Yuri Collins and you've also got a guy like Gibson Jimerson. So uh, very interesting, intriguing matchup for Memphis on Tuesday night. So let's let me pull up the schedule here. So you go from St. Louis to VCU. You got a game against VCU. In Memphis. Um, First home game Memphis. of the year. Yep. Seton Hall. Seton Hall. Again. And then you get then you get North Alabama. So that's your November schedule. Um well hold on. Big, hold on. Yeah. They they're going the Seton Hall game is an ESPN events invitational. They're starting off the invitational against right, Seton again, Hall. Against Seton Hall. Yeah. Then they play then they play two more games at least in Orlando. So they've got Seton Hall, then the winner of Oklahoma, Nebraska. And then if they win that game, they play Florida either Florida State, Stanford, Ole Miss, or Siena. So they've got Three three games in Orlando immediately after that initial home opener in VC uh, against VCU, right? So that that's what, and the reason I sped through that is because I wanted to get to December. So I did not mean to glance over that, but I did. Sorry. Um. No, no, I'm not saying to you. I'm saying to the people listening that I just glanced over that because I was excited to get to December. I know December's um, crazy. December is going to be crazy, but that is, and you're, I thank you for stopping me and slowing me down on that because that, that ESPN invitational will be test after test after test. It will be quality teams all the way throughout. Uh, it's always a good environment to see where your team is because it, it does, it has that tournament style environment. So those are always perfect to see where you're at, what you look like in a tournament environment, see what you need to work on moving forward because it is early in the season. Um, so Memphis, Really, like I said, they start with a pretty quality schedule at the beginning. They're not playing any world beaters necessarily. They're just playing good, solid teams right? Um, that are like perennial hmm. tournament-type teams, perennial tournament contender teams. Oh, yeah. uh, then you go Ole Miss, mm-hmm. first game in December, Little Rock, and then you have currently hmm. three consecutive top 25 teams. You go Auburn, Bama, and A and M, who just got into the top twenty-five this week. Right. So you talk about a test and seeing where a team is at. I think we'll obviously know a lot more about this team at that time because we're only one game in right now, and we get to see them in Orlando and see what they do in Orlando. And it's weird to say you kind of have a defining stretch of the season in December because you're not even in the conference play yet. But man, that is. That's going to be fun. That's going to be a whole heck of a lot of fun to see Memphis play. And who knows if those three teams will be ranked in the top 25 at that time. But regardless, three of the better teams in the country 
we get to see Memphis match up with relatively early in the season. I mean, that Auburn game, obviously, December 10th in Atlanta is going to be awesome. I mean, the holiday hoops giving, I love that that little that that tournament every year. I love the the holiday college basketball, you know, tournaments they have going on. Um that's gonna be such a fun game, man. You know, Penny Hardaway, Bruce Pearl. I mean, that's just that's gonna be so much fun. Um and then again, like you said, that December 13th game in Tuscaloosa against Alabama. I mean, the Tigers were reeling last year coming into the Alabama game in Memphis. And that felt like the game where they really you, you you finally kind of caught a glimpse in that Alabama game of, oh, man, this team could be so good. If they could get it all together, they could be so good. And again, man, like, it's just Auburn and Alabama back-to-back. And then, like you said, that December 17th game in Memphis um, at night against Texas A&M, I don't care if – I there's no reason to believe that all three of those teams won't still be ranked in the top 25. And truth be told, the Tigers might be ranked in the top 25 at that point. If they play the way that, that you know, the way the schedule is kind of pushing itself out to be, like if they, if they can get past St. Louis tomorrow or if they can get past St. Louis tonight, then – there's no reason to say that all three of those games aren't going to be ranked opponents, you know, playing against each other. And that yeah, is top just 25 such a, matchups. I mean, that is such a cool, cool December for Tiger fans. And that's just not normal for what Penny has done in the past. Like we haven't seen a schedule like this in the first two months of the year. It's crazy, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think, cause I think it's been, I think what it's been the past few years is you have those games sprinkled in but they're between like really bad teams, right? right. So you you have an Ole Miss in there, you have a Georgia in there when Anthony Edwards was there, but you're playing very very winnable games that you're favored by double digits in in between. And this is like this is pretty killer after killer. Other than uh, what was it, the North Alabama game uh, at the end of November? Other than that, like these are gonna be tight games. You start off the season, like I said. Two and a half point favorites over Vanderbilt, three point dogs against St. Louis. I uh, believe they'll be favored against VCU, um, and then and then in that tournament against Seton Hall and stuff. All those are going to be close games. I would say all those will probably be within three to five point favorites. So we'll know what this team is made of pretty early, and and that doesn't determine the season one way or the other. If they're undefeated at the end of December, it doesn't mean they're going to win a national championship, and if they've got two or three losses at the end of December, that doesn't mean that they're doomed. Uh, and, and that's, you know, that's the fun of college sports in general, but I you think it's going to be very interesting. You mentioned earlier, you, you brought up Michigan state and this feels this schedule, these first two months feels like a Michigan state, Tom Izzo schedule where you look up at the very beginning of the season and Michigan state is playing everybody. They put their first 10 games are against the top 10 opponents, uh, top 10 co- teams in the country. And and they lose some of those games. They might get one win or two wins. And it's like, man, Michigan is Tom Izzo losing it. Is Michigan State really not that good this year? And then you look up in the tournament in February and March, and you're like, oh, my gosh. Michigan State is – they've won 23 games this year. They've right. gone on they a go, massive they go, streak. They go run through their conference. And, and I, think Penny's, I think Penny's seen that. I think Penny's seen – you know, losing those games to inferior conference opponents. And it, you know, he could believe, and it could be, I, you know, I don't know one way or the other, that they weren't prepared going into conference slate because they weren't necessarily playing 
a tough schedule in November and December. So, you know, just food for thought. Who knows? Um, yeah, they just we haven't don't been read minds like or read the future. Yeah, no, they haven't. So, um, I love the way he scheduled it. I think it's what he wants to do. It's what he's been trying to do for years, and he's got it. So, let's see how they fare throughout. Absolutely. So, again, um, this podcast is coming out on Tuesday. Tigers will be playing and facing off against St. Louis in St. Louis. Um, like Christian said earlier, they're a three-and-a-half-point underdog right now. Um, but that is – going to be a fun game a tough game I think we're going to see some pretty awesome um, backcourt matchups in this game and I think I'm excited to see what Kendrick Davis and Alex Lomax and Keontae Kennedy and and uh, Elijah McCadden can do I think it's going to be fun against the against that um, backcourt of St. Louis so Kenny let's switch gears a little bit and talk a little bit of Memphis football before we get out of here Tigers are coming off of a win over Tulsa on Thursday night. Um, covered the spread, which is always a good sign. It wasn't necessarily the prettiest game, but they won uh, to get their fifth win of the season. They played North Alabama this week, and if they win, they are bowl eligible. So I know it hasn't been the perfect season, but they're currently five and five. They win this game, uh, six and five, and bowl eligible. Talk to me about these last two games really quickly. Like I said, North Alabama, SMU, you can either end the in the season six and six at five hundred or seven and five. Um so I mean I think that I, I I'm not trying to look past North Alabama here, but I'm kind of looking past North Alabama here. Well, I yes. And I think that look past North Alabama in terms of the the actual end result to me this game is really important for the Tigers because I think it's a get right game right before uh, they play against SMU because this SMU game is going to be difficult they're going to Dallas they're playing a potent and and I know you are a massive Tanner Mordecai fan you are you love that dude um, and I know TJ and Trey over on Tigers Untapped they love that dude too especially TJ he loves Tanner Mordecai uh, but. This North Alabama game, you know, on Saturday, it's going to be the final time the Tigers are going to be playing at at Simmons Bank Liberty Stadium this year. Um, I'm I'm really wondering at Senior Day, so there's going to be a lot of of players that have been with the team for a very long time that are going to be, you know, being, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, Christian? Honored. Honored. Thank you. Um, you know, Quindell Johnson, guys like Quindell Johnson, guys like Rodney Owens, guys like uh, Wardalis Ducksworth, uh, you know, Zay guys, Collins, Zay Collins the, my, my, one of the guys that I've just grown to really, really appreciate on that team is Jalen Allen. Guys like Jalen Allen are going to be, you know, honored. that's your dude. That's my guy, man. Um, so it's going to be an emotional day, I think, for most Tiger fans and, and for the Tiger players, because there's going to be a lot of guys that have been on the team for so long. Um, which is, you know, what's crazy, Christian, is most of those guys were either here 2018 or they started, they were redshirted at 2019. 2019, the year that they played in the Cotton Bowl, the year that they went AAC Championship, they got that a lot of these players have stuck around. And if you listen to, you know, conversations I've had with them over the offseason, they, they came back because they wanted to bring the Tigers back to where they were introduced to the Tiger program, and that's AEC championship going to a big bowl. And I think this season, these last two seasons in particular, have been disappointments for the team, man. 
And, and so this is going to be an emotional day, I think, for Tiger fans and for the players against North Alabama. I don't think the win or the loss is really up in question. I think the Tigers should absolutely score at will against this team. Um, but it's just going to be a an emotional day, I think, for for everybody. So let's look past this North Alabama game a little bit. Mm-hmm. Fingers crossed that's not a mistake. And let's talk about the way that Memphis can close this season out and what it does, if anything, for confidence, whatever, propelling this team forward in the next season. What does it do? What does the next two games do for Memphis? I mean, obviously, I think it's really difficult, man, because I think that the Tigers – if if everybody's being honest with themselves, this season has will ultimately, however it plays out, will end up being a disappointing season be, based on expectations um, locally. Now, sometimes local expectations can be, uh, you know, a little bit, um, fall, like can be a little bit looking through, you know, rose colored glasses, I guess. And I mean, you look at the national media and most of them pick the Tigers to be seventh in the conference, you know, seven and five, six and, you know, you know, six and six, you know, for the year, which looks like it's going to end up being the case, obviously. Um, But in terms of, in terms of confidence for the team, man, obviously being able to go bowling is a huge deal. I mean, the team has specifically talked about a lot of the players have specifically talked about that, that they don't want to break that streak of since 2013, the Tigers have been bowl um, eligible every single year and they don't want to break that streak. Um, obviously the disappointment is I think most of the Tiger players that came back and, and, uh, guys that have played for this team for years, uh, came back with the expressed intent of, of bringing a championship back to, uh, university of Memphis. Well, that's not going to happen. Obviously, um, in terms of confidence, man, I, you know, I refuse to try to understand how fans are feeling about certain things. Obviously, if they go into Dallas and beat SMU um, and end the season, the regular season at seven and five, I think there is a level of confidence that the staff and the team can take away because what remains true, Christian, is that the Tigers are still an extremely young team. You look at a large portion of the of the players that have played this year. Um, they, a lot of the players that have played, they would, in terms of age, they would rank as the Tigers would rank as the tenth youngest team in the entire FBS. And and so, I think going into, um, you know, the off season, going into you know bowl practices and getting ready for a bowl game, being able to walk away seven and five coming off of a win against SMU um, in Dallas would be a huge confidence builder to the fans. I don't know. Honestly, I don't know what, how the fans are going to react, if they're going to still be on the, you know, fire Silverfield train or, or, or whatever. But I think for the staff and for the players, they'll be confident if they can come and, and beat North Alabama and then go into Dallas and beat you, uh, you know, SMU, I think they'll be confident going into the off season. Yeah, I completely agree. So, last question for you. We're going to project a little bit more than that. We're going to go a little further because it's fun. So, let's say Memphis beats North Alabama. Memphis goes to Dallas and beats SMU. Memphis wins a bowl game. Finish the season 8-5 and five with the bowl win. Success or no? 
I think, are you talking about is the program successful or was the season successful? Was it was it a successful season if Memphis goes eight and five with a bolt win? I would say no because of the expectations that the staff and the team had on on what they were going to be able to do. I mean, one of the things that came very was very apparent to me in the off season was that you really rarely hear Ryan Silverfield talking about his team in very specifics and and kind of like what he's feeling about his team during the off season. Christian, he was very excited about what he was seeing out on the field. And so I think, um, I think, do I deem it a success? No, because I don't think the staff and the team would deem it as a, as a success. Um, do I think eight and five with a, win, a bowl game win is a good season? Yes. Cause I think there is momentum, especially as they bring in or as they're developing some of the younger players that are on the roster on top of having some of the best recruiting classes Memphis has ever had, I think that there's a lot of momentum and I think there's a lot of confidence going into the off season, but in terms of success, no, I don't think it's a successful season because of the expectations that were placed on them within the program. I would say if that happens, it's a successful season because two weeks ago, if you would have told anybody that Memphis could finish this season eight and five with a bowl win and they were a diehard Memphis fan, they'd probably give you a healthy amount of money to get there. Memphis was just sitting at four and five going into the Tulsa game. So to win four games in a row and one of those being a bowl, I think that is successful. Um, at, at least in, at least in a small sample size, because maybe it wasn't successful from the beginning of the season, but from, what Memphis has done throughout the year to get to that point. A lot of people, you know, a lot of fans I know have been really down in the dumps about it. That's being eight and five with the bowl wins, probably unfathom, unfathomable to most people two or three weeks ago. So that's why I say it would be a success. Uh, I think it, I think it helps Ryan Silverfield out a lot. If he can go out like that, I think that's a great way to end the season and kind of propel into the next year it makes the headlines throughout the offseason way more positive to go out like that. Um, much not that, different not that headlines. The, yeah, it's, it's much different. And not that the coaches and players put too much stock into that, but, you know, they do see it. You know, regardless of if it affects them or not, they do see it, and you'd much rather see positive stuff said than negative stuff, I would imagine. Um, so I, I, I think it's possible. I don't think Memphis – you know, it's going to lose to North Alabama. That's for dang sure. So I think they're going to go to a bowl game. And last game of the season in Dallas, Memphis is going to give it their all. You know that. So anything could happen. SMU is not, you know, the best team in the conference by any means. So it's not like they're an unbeatable team. Memphis can go beat them. They just got to get pressure on Tanner Mordecai, cover Rasheed Rice, and maybe run the ball a little bit. And I think they can win that game even on the road. It's going to be a tough game. I mean, can the Tigers offense, which, you know, at the very beginning of the season was kind of what people expected the Tiger offense to look like. Well, we've gotten used to, I think, over the last, you know, few years. Um, but it's definitely not been consistent throughout the year. I mean, you mentioned earlier the running game. You know, the, the running game has been pretty much non-existent this year. Um, there's been no – there's no established running game in any game that I've seen um, the Tigers play, and I've, I've seen them all. 
Um, so it'll be interesting, man. Like the Tigers are going to have to really come out against SMU and 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 try to keep up with the high powered SMU offense. I mean, their SMU has an offense. Um, they've 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 had an offense for years, and they. Um, I have a feeling for the Tigers to win, there's going to have to be a. It's going to have to be a. Um, they're going to have to get as many. I mean, they're going to have to score a lot to be able to beat SMU. Um, so we'll see, man. We'll see. I, you know, I know that. I know that the one thing I would say about the Tiger team is that they have. They do not lack confidence. They believe that they can come out and win every game they play, and so they're going to come out against SMU. Hopefully after a, a game against North Alabama where, you know, we describe it as a get right game where they, they kind of practice some different things, work on some different things, you know, get get some game action on some sets that they might try to, you know, bring out against SMU. But um, it's going to be a tough game. That SMU game to end the season is going to be tough. But again, if that it's a winnable game and if they can do that and then win a bowl game, I'll, I'll go with you, man. I th- I, I'll, I'll call it successful. I've swayed I, you. You've swayed me because I agree with what you're saying. I mean, at the beginning of the year when they were four and one, I think people were like, this could be, you know, every game past this, there's going to be a, a rough stretch of games, the Houston ECU, UCF, I mean, uh, Tulsa UCF games. Those are going to be tough games, but they're all winnable. Well, they lose four, all four of those games. And, and, and so I think definitely there was a level of excitement at four and one and then just, man. Straight down. Straight, Straight down. So it'll be well, interesting. Well, Kenny, I think that that brings us to the end of episode one of On the Bluff. Man, feels weird, but it feels good. Excited to be back on a microphone talking about Memphis sports. Excited to be back with my guy, Kenny. It's yes. been a long time, over a year since we've recorded a podcast together. So it feels good to be back at it. Uh, and we appreciate you guys for listening. We know this is only the beginning, the tip of the iceberg. Uh, and we hope we have hundreds and hundreds of episodes from here. But we will be back next week. Should have some basketball and some football to talk about. Maybe even some recruiting to talk about. Kenny, you got anything else before we wrap up the first episode of On the Bluff? One last thing, man. Bluff City Media, Bluff City NIL it's a new thing that's being started. We're, we're getting it off the ground. It's an, it's an opportunity for us to um, provide comprehensive coverage of the tiger athletics at the same time, providing opportunities for uh, student athletes at the university of Memphis to um, make a little cash off their name, image, and likeness, man. And we're, so we're excited. We got a strong team that's being built up over here. Um, and, and as Christian said, it's just the tip of the iceberg, man. We've got so much planned. So y'all stay tuned. Follow us on all of our social medias, um, everything, YouTube. Go check out YouTube. Go check out Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, all that kind of stuff. We're going to have a good time, man. Yeah, and like you said, tip of the iceberg. So since it is the beginning, since we are at the forefront of this, go subscribe on YouTube. Go follow us on social platforms. Um, Anything you can do to support and help us out, listen to the podcast, subscribe to the podcast, tell your friends about the podcast. Uh, it will be available on anywhere that you get your podcast and also the video version, which Kenny and I got, we're going to step up our game a little bit next week. This is, oh yeah, this is just episode one. So it'll be, we're going to have a much higher quality video for YouTube next week. We just wanted to get this thing off the ground. So like I said, show us support, show us some love, help us any way you can. And we will see you back here next week.
Thank you for listening to On the Bluff. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a rating and a comment wherever you download your podcasts. Head over to www.bluffcitynil.com where you will find comprehensive coverage of Tiger Athletics and how you can become a contributor. We'll see you back here next week.